So, a word from the Torah. So I have uh, noticed that over the past few weeks, I was not feeling great when I got to work every day. So I thought it must be something that was going on in the morning. So the first thing I eliminated was coffee. So for a few days, I stopped drinking coffee. And when I got to the temple, I felt like 10 times worse. So I knew it wasn't the coffee, right? How many people have tried to kick the habit, right? It's like, I don't drink coffee anymore. Well, how, how long has it been, Rabbi? Three days. <laughs> well, you should go back on it. So I went back on it. And then I thought, like, what else? Like, you know, the other things in my daily routine, I couldn't get rid of, like, flossing and things like that, feeding the kids. But what, <laughs> what I did religiously every morning is I would go outside, walk the dog, and I'd bring in the San Francisco Chronicle and the New York Times, and I would just read as much as I could over the first cup of coffee. And so I said, well, what if I stopped reading the New York Times and the Chronicle and listening to NPR and the way to work? And I felt so much better. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you to give up the coffee. That was a terrible idea. Um, but I will tell you, if you take a little bit of a media break, for a few days, you don't feel as crappy <laughs> as you do from being exposed to that because there's very little good news. Now, I'm not saying if what I recommend you um, to do is all going to be good news, but at least it's consistent. And that is that um, I, I encourage you to pick up the Torah in the morning and just read a section of the Torah. And I'm not saying it's like it's a happy book. I mean, we've been reading the same one for 4,000 years. It's hard to get through. Um, but at least the hard stuff in it is consistent. You know what to expect because every single Shabbat, whether you're in Morocco or you're in Turkey or you're in New Jersey or you're in Tel Aviv or you're here in San Francisco, you're all reading the exact same portion, which I think is a really beautiful part. You can go anywhere in the world and you get to a synagogue on Shabbat and you know exactly what they're going to be reading. So this week in the Torah is the section called Chaye Sarah, which means what? The life of Sarah, our great matriarch, the first matriarch. And it's the only Torah portion named for a woman in the entire Torah. What happens the first line of her Torah portion? She dies. Woo, feminism started so early. <laughs> so it says, the first line, it says, and Sarah lived to 100 years and 20 years and seven years. It doesn't say that anywhere else in the Torah. It tells people's age. But hers doesn't say, and Sarah lives to 127 years old, and then she died. It said, these were the years of Sarah's life, 100 years and 20 years and seven years. And the rabbis are puzzled and have many different suggestions as to why it separated those. And it says that Sarah had all of those in her present at all times. When she was 100 years old, she still had the joy and the vivacity, and she had the kind of juiciness of a 20-year-old woman. And when she was 20, she still had the joy and she had the imagination of her seven-year-old little girl. And I sometimes wonder, like when she was seven and 20, did she somehow have access to her sage? Did she have access to her 100-year-old? And was she channeling that into her when she was a young woman or a girl? And if she wasn't, and I think it might be an example to us, um, when, how many people here are in their 20s? or in their 30s, okay. 40s, whoop, whoop. All right, thank God. Um, we all, I would keep going up. I know that there's you know, parents and grandparents in here too, but I wonder how often we think we're supposed to have all the answers and maybe we should be a little bit more like Sarah and reach out to our sages.
reach out to the people who are older than us. I don't mean necessarily your parents, because they don't always give you good advice, right? But maybe other people's parents or grandparents, the people who have a lot of wisdom, and bring it back into us. And think about like when you were six or seven or eight years old, something joyful about your life. Just think about it for a minute. If there was something really joyful when you were six or seven or eight, and how you just accepted it as like unadulterated joy in a way as a child, and that we lose that because we become so critical or judgmental of those moments. How great it would be if we could kind of go back to that feeling and bring it into our lives right now. So uh, I wanted to think about those three years, seven and 20 and 100, um, and I was uh, asked this week to do three things with those three ages. I was asked to be the guest of the month at the town school for boys for one of our students who's seven years old. There were no girls there, because it's the town school for boys. And so he wrote me an email. Rabbi Mintz, I'm so excited you're going to be guest of the month. Please bring a shofar and some other Jewish stuff. <laughs> and I had half an hour to talk to these kids at the town school for boys about what it was like to be a rabbi. And it was fascinating, because I got there, and this, this little boy, Ryder, um, who I'm very close with, uh, I was in the delivery room five minutes before he was born almost eight years ago, uh, and so we have a very strong bond, and I'll tell you, if you ever want to know, I'll, I'll give another sermon why I was actually in the delivery room, um, and the hint is, we were doing his mom's conversion as she was giving birth. It was really intense, so you could tell why. Um, <laughs> oh, don't make me tell the story. I'll tell it some other time, because we're back, in, we're back in the town school for boys in the second grade classroom. Should I tell that story? Okay, all right. Oh, Marsha's like, then you've got to give up the other story. No way, Marsha. Okay, fine. I'll give up the 100-year-old. Fine. Um, so um, we're supposed to be doing this young woman's conversion um, before she had her first child because both of um, she and her husband wanted the baby to be born to Jewish parents. They just really felt like it would be a wonderful thing. Didn't need to be. And um, the morning before she was supposed to go to the mikvah, I get a phone call in the middle of a meeting, right in a meeting in there, the senior staff meeting, and somebody's leaning against the lights. <laughs> And then, doo -doo 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 -doo. <laughs> thank you for that dramatic pause. So I get this phone call from her husband, Rabbi, she's in labor right now. We're at the hospital. Can we still go to the mikvah? I said, uh, no. And he said, we can't, we can't do the conversion. I said, I didn't say that. I said, we can't go to the mikvah because she is a mikvah. Because a mikvah is living waters, and that's what you do when you convert. You go into the mikvah and you pass through living waters. And he said, well, well, we really still want the baby to be born when she's Jewish. And I said, hold on. And I thought, and I said, okay, we'll be right there. And I said to the senior staff, I'm canceling the meeting. I need two other rabbis. And the, the three of us took off out the door, and we ran down the street. It was like Mission Impossible. We were all wearing dark suits, and we had our, our rabbi's manual. We were like, doon, 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 doon. And like, we, we ran into the, we ran in, it was at CPMC. Come on, it was two blocks away. It wasn't like we had nine miles to run. And it was in San Jose. We ran there. And we, we get to CPMC, and we press seven, and the three of us go up to, um, the seventh floor, and the dad is there when the, the doors open. I just remember his expression was like panic, relief, freak out, what was going on. And we got off, and we went into her room, and we stood around her, and her water had already broke, so she really was living waters. 
And we stood there and we held hands with her and we did the Yevarechacha, we did this blessing over her. And the most intense part of the whole experience was as we were standing there, there was a fetal monitor on her belly. So as we're saying the blessings, if you've ever heard this before, it's whoosh, 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 whoosh. What is that? It was the heartbeat of the baby. So we did the conversion. She was Jewish, and then 15 minutes later, the next Jew came into the world. <laughs> so I didn't tell that story to the kids in the, in the second grade that day. <laughs> but what I, what, I, what I had this boy, Ryder, um, talk about is like what you do with the shofar and where you use it, and that he told the kids, now my rabbi is going to blow the shofar, and she can blow it for one minute. And then this, uh, there was like one other Jewish kid in, in the whole class who goes to Temple Emanuel. He goes, I've seen her do it for five. <laughs> I was like, I love you guys, but I'll give you 30 seconds before I faint. So I blew the shofar. And then he said, Rabbi, can you show us the other Jewish stuff? And so I brought a hammer that says Congregation Emanuel on it. And I was thinking to myself, Every day, my job as a rabbi is to do good PR for the Jewish people and for Hashem. Really. Is to do good PR for our people and for Hashem, for, for God. And I thought, this is a group of predominantly Gentile kids with predominantly Gentile families. There's a very few Jewish kids at the town school for boys. And so, do I bring a Havdalah candle? Should I bring in the Torah? I decided to, to teach them what the Jewish people are about by what I do. So I picked up the hammer and I had writers say, it says Congregation Emmanuel. And I said, why do you think we have a hammer? They had no idea. And then one kid said, did you go to carpentry school? <laughs> I said, no, that's Jesus. And So I said that when I became a rabbi at Temple Emmanuel, there was a president who had started an organization with a group of faith leaders um, to build houses for people who didn't have houses. It was called Habitat for Humanity. And they asked um, religious leaders from San Francisco to go and to build houses. Um, and one of the boys said, was it Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> the president who started this. I was like, well, I wasn't alive when Abraham Lincoln was president. And I said, well, what president do you think it is um, who would have started this? And um, this one boy said, it was definitely Obama. And I said, no. And the kid next to him said, no, it wasn't. It was Mitt Romney. <laughs> I said, he wasn't president. He said, my dad voted for him. <laughs> so I said, that great. Put, put, your, put your hand down. Um, so I told them that most of them live in Pacific Heights, and most of them have a place to live, but there's people in San Francisco who don't have places to live. So they asked for the leaders of the synagogues and the churches from all over San Francisco to get together and to build a house. And the hammer was what they gave each one of the faith leaders after the house was built. The kids were like, wow, like, that's, well, that's what Jews do. I said, that's what Jews do. And then, um, then one little boy, he goes, I have a question. Can men be rabbis? <laughs> it was so cool. <laughs> Seriously. And then the third thing I brought was a cowbell. Right? A cowbell, a really little cowbell. And I, and I shook it and I shook it and I said, um, what is this for? And one of the kids is like, that's what you, you know, at the end of a hockey game. And I said, that's right. It's, it's like at the end of a sports event, you ring a cowbell for people at the very end. Or of like a leg of a journey. And, and they said, well, what, you know, what, what kind of athletics do you do? And I said, well, 
Um, about five years ago, um, a member of our congregation lost their son to AIDS and asked if, that, if we would have a team that would ride in the San Francisco AIDS ride. And so I went to the board of directors, which was incredibly generous, and, and I said, if we can get a minion, 10 people, to ride in the AIDS ride, could we be the first synagogue to ever have a team to ride in the San Francisco AIDS ride, which goes from San Francisco to LA? The board was like super generous and said, yes, we ended up with 20 people riding in the AIDS ride. Um, and so I told, that's, that's what I brought to show them, because I felt like, I want these non-Jewish kids and, and their parents to think about the Jews in this way, as people who go out and do healing, as people who build houses, as people who blow a ram's horn. <laughs> and um, to me, those seven-year-olds, like, they had a lot of questions after that. And I know that because I got an email from Ryder's mom saying, the teachers want me to come back next week. <laughs> um, but I will tell you what was really interesting is that after I told the story about the AIDS ride, they were really, ex you know, they were excited about like what kind of bicycle I rode, because that's where you go when you're seven. And then a little boy raised and he said, what is AIDS? And I said, well, it's a disease that has killed a lot of people. Um, it's associated with a virus called the HIV virus. How many people here have heard of AIDS? They hadn't heard of AIDS. And I thought, that's so weird. And and then his mom, who's a doctor, said, it's not that strange, Rabbi. These kids are seven years old, and it's not a disease that is present in their lives in San Francisco anymore. And I thought, wow. Then I thought about being seven and 20 and 100. And when you think about however old you are, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 right now, when you think about when you were born, what was going on in the world, it was really different than it is today, and how much time and how much transition has happened in our world. There was no Tinder back then. <laughs> or J-Swipe, or whatever you kids are using these days. I think, um, I have to embarrass my niece Sienna who's here, I think I was trying to be cool and I said something like, hey, are you using Timber? <laughs> She's like, it's Tinder, thanks. Um, so I know what it is now at least. But the world has changed so much, and that's why I'm, Marshall, I'm, cu I'm cutting off the 20 and the 100, because I know these kids need to go downstairs and drink beer and eat sushi. Um, but I will tell you, I'll just give you the snippet of the 20-year-old. I also went to USF, and I taught in a class called Judaism and Social Justice, and the Swig family dedicated a chair at USF um, to talk about the, Jew, the Jewish people and their contribution to social justice in the world. And it's another fascinating way to do good PR for the Jewish people because 95% of the kids in the class are not Jewish and it's their first exposure to who the Jewish people are. And many of them have only seen like either Curb Your Enthusiasm or Haredi Guy in Brooklyn and that's it. <laughs> so that sense of doing good PR. And so what I want to tell you is two things, two lessons from this week's Torah portion. Every year we come back to Chaye Sarah, and it's the same portion, and we are commanded to take something different from it every single year, but it's constant. We go through many, many transitions, but I encourage you to go back to Chaye Sarah, go back each week to the thing that we've been doing for 4,000 years, because miraculously we're still here, and we're still reading it, and we're still living it, and it's still happening. And the other thing I encourage you to do is to be emissaries of Hashem, to really be emissaries of God in the world, and however you feel your heart is moved to do that, and uh, do some good PR for the Jews wherever you are, whether it means like standing up to somebody when you hear an anti-Semitic joke. Not just not laughing, but actually being that guy and saying, you know what, my friend's Jewish and he doesn't appreciate that. <laughs> Say you're Jewish and that you don't appreciate it. 
when people criticize Israel, just blatantly say, you know what, I'm not an expert, but I think it's a lot more complicated than that. And if you aren't an expert and you feel like you don't talk about Israel because you don't know much about it, do some great reading. Come to a class here. Read Ari Shavit's incredibly potent book, My Promised Land. It's a lot of stuff I've given you to do. And come downstairs and drink beer and eat our sushi. We love having you. Shabbat shalom. No, 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 no,